stars on their roster and to join me to discuss two shows here's mr john dinsdale of steel chair wrestling magazine slash website more website than magazine these days how are we doing john i'm not bad throughout a bit karaoke was a gnawing death match show yesterday and things were rather exciting lots of flying glass lots of blood just right up your street then really oh, <laughs> i bloody loved it so we're going to look at two shows, uh, one from LLPW, Ladies Legend Professional Wrestling, which I don't think you'd ever come across before, had you, John? Uh, no, this was a new one. Okay, and All Japan Women uh, from the early 2000s in quite a remarkable card, uh, it has to be said, for both its quality and its booking decisions. Um, so as you've not watched LLPW before... What were you expecting, John, from a Japanese Joshi company in the 1990s? Violence. <laughs> you whenever weren't far we, on. Whenever we watch Joshi, it's usually car crash wrestling, extreme technical wrestling, or just violence. Or a mixture of all three. Which is usually the case. Yes. Now, we've gone over the story of LLPW before, but it was a long time ago, so I should... And the last time we looked at LLPW, me, Christy and um, Chelsea looked at a couple of LLPW events I found on YouTube. Uh, and in this particular case, we're at Currican Hall. It's 1998, so eight years into, or six years into the existence of LLPW. Um, LLPW was founded as part of the Japanese Women's Project uh, companies, along with JWP, which obviously was the original company. And what happened was in 1990, um, the company was founded and they began training a dojo, but it was quite clear that a lot of their wrestlers were kind of one style or another style. And the, the, the entertainers, uh, led by Kaman Bolshoi and uh, Dynamite Kansai Mayumi Zaki, kind of stayed on the entertainer side. And the shooters, led by um, Hayley Sato, uh, Eagle Saiwai, and um, uh, Shinobi Kandori, and especially Rumi Kizama, said, well, we kind of want to run our own company. So Rumi Kizama became the president and the first female president of a wrestling company in Japan. Um, and they began doing their own thing, which was much more of a shoot style, shoot straight wrestling kind of product rather than more entertainment led. And that probably is the big difference between watching these two shows, to be honest with you, even they're only three years apart and similar talent. So we're at Ladies Legend Professional Wrestling. It's the house show event in Currican Hall. Um, 1,600 sell out in 1998, which is pretty good numbers. It opened with a singles match, which was Mako Matsumoto versus Mia Watabe uh, in kind of a, a beginner's girls match that was, well, so I won't say they were beginners because they were both quite accomplished by this particular point. Uh, I mean, Watabe had been a wrestler for two years and would only wrestle for another year before she retired. And... Um, Watabe was ended up being a nine-year veteran, but again, had only been in two years, and it was helpful out of this match. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, I was quite shocked by this because it is literally sort of ten minutes of pure violence. Again, wrestling violence. Because I thought, oh, it's a 
rookie match, so someone's going to get, like, just completely plastered for, like, five minutes, and I was like, oh, no. That was actually a really good wrestling match. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Masamoto was the larger of the two wrestlers, and you kind of thought that Watabe was going to get her ass handed to her, but it just didn't happen because she just never gave up. This is a classic Joshi trait of, you know... Let it all hang out. Try and get as much into a match as you possibly can so you get noticed and make sure you keep your fighting spirit up. And both of them kind of fulfilled that prophecy to with great aplomb. Never get bored watching an opening match on a JW, LLPW, JWP or Gaia show. You will have fun. Because <laughs> it, it is it's high stakes wrestling. It's my career is on the line wrestling every time you go out for those girls. Um, it isn't until they get older that they can relax a bit and slow down. But until then, they just keep hammering each other. And that's what I find fascinating about it. Um, were you kind of drawn to one wrestler or the other? Uh, I was really just enjoying sort of Watabe's keep coming back. <laughs> you were just like, well, you should be done. You should be dead. You should be dead. And then she's like, oh, no, back. And yeah, it just kept going. I was sort of like... How are you not dead yet? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Because it's uh, built as one type of match, and then it's a totally different one plays out, and you're like, "Huh, that was fun." Yeah, it's it was it was an interesting uh, wrestling session, to be honest with you. Um, and yeah, just this whole show was just interesting, right? Different kind of perspectives. For instance, the next match, Keiko Aino who was a JWP wrestler who moved over with LLPW, though she wrestled for several people. If you look at her career, uh, even at this point, she was wrestling in 98 for LLPW mostly, but also also for war. That's uh, Siru Saruta's promotion and the IWA as well. That was her year in in, uh, 1998. She was a softball player. She had 23 years as a pro and finally retired in 2018, which will tell you, you know, how accomplished she would become. But she was wrestling one of the most accomplished professional wrestlers of all time in Norio Tatiano. Have you heard of Norio Tatiano, sir? I've heard of the name, and I sort of recognised her when she was on screen, but I'm going to guess you are the complete book of knowledge here. (laughs) You watched it two weeks ago. Did we? Yeah. Because Norio Tatiano is of the Jumping Bomb Angels, sir. Oh, of course. Yes. So um, she left AJW, obviously, in the early 90s when the 26 rule kicked in and she wasn't allowed to wrestle anymore. And she unretired for LLPW and was kind of one of the steady hands that helped develop their roster. She wouldn't become a big headlining star. In fact, me and Chelsea and Christy covered her. The last time we looked at LLPW was one of her anniversary events. I think she had her... She was in 84, so it would have been her 10th anniversary show. And she would go on to wrestle for another 14 years after that. And this was a real technical masterpiece because both of them, Tetiano is a technical wrestler. Iona is much more of a shoe fighter. And styles make matches. That's what made this tick. What did you think of this one, John? Yeah, as you said, it was a bit of a technical masterclass. There was not a lot to complain of. It was pretty intense. It was very technically sound and Despite neither of them being technically entertaining wrestlers, it was definitely entertaining to watch. It was a, one of those sort of chess game matches. 
yeah, that's the whole thing. It, it, styles makes matches. That's what that's what it's all about, really. Um, and you know, a lot of promotions are kind of going along with that at the moment. Um, you know, trying to book people who have contrasting but complementary styles. And this was this was kind of an early days uh, section of that. And it really, really was a lot of fun, this one. I really did enjoy it. It was a technical wrestling kind of spectacular. Now we kind of get more into John's end of things. <laughs> <laughs> Harley Sato, the glorious, the beautiful, the sadly no longer with us, Harley Sato, tagging Mizuki Endo against the absolute god of violence, Sharks this year, and the bloody... The Bloody is a wrestler who was trained by Lioness Asuka uh, in the early 90s. I would guess just kind of before Gaia kind of got off the ground and she was a freelancer for a long, long time. Um, and she ended up having an 11-year career. She retired in 2005. And I suppose she was one of the first kind of pioneering indie women in women's wrestling because she wrestled for everybody. Um, this was outstanding. Like, this was all about the hottest of hot tags. They beat on Endo, and they beat on Endo, and they beat on Endo, and they beat on Endo. And every time she got to the corner, she couldn't quite make it. And then they jumped Endo when she got to the corner, and they couldn't quite make it. And then eventually got to Sato, and then everything kicked off. <laughs> and the crowd were absolutely livid for this match. I thoroughly enjoyed this. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, this is where it started to get violent. <laughs> As you said, it was a non-stop barrage for so much of it. Endor just gets the absolute shit knocked out. <laughs> it's ah, uh, it was really intense. That was it was really fun. You just—it's one of these cases where you're watching something, trying to will it into existence, and it just never happens. <laughs> it's like she's gonna make it. She's gonna make it. She's gonna oh. and she's dead again. <laughs> Mizuki Endo also had an awesome, awesome haircut. Like, it was an undercut long hair, so she could, like, undid her hair, it would look normal. But the undercuts underneath it made it look like Minoru Suzuki-esque before Minoru Suzuki had, like, a panned haircut. So it looked really, really cool. And she's, she's a badass. She looked like she was a badass. She looked like she could go. Harley Sato is just incredible professional wrestler. Um, and, yeah, this just this match just works. And the bloody actually, I've seen bits of her stuff before and I've always been intrigued by her. But I think because she didn't have a long, I suppose this was one of her most longest established runs in any company. She didn't really kind of like get into the consciousness. She's starting to get into the point with Joshi wrestling where the legends are still the less legends and the people underneath are struggling to swim upwards, which is the point of this show and what we're talking about here. I mean, Shark isn't a good example. She is a legend and therefore anyone tagging with legend gets a rub. But also, it's difficult to get past that, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's always going to be the case with wrestling, though, isn't it? Well, certain eras of wrestling, I suppose, it's not quite as pronounced these days. No, um, it's it's these days it's more kind of you can make people, but it depends on where you are as well. I mean. I think one of the things knocking WWE at the minute is the fact that they really don't seem to be able to make new stars. They can do when they want to, and they do it quite quickly, I suppose. But equally, <clears throat> the 50-50 booking they get to do, it doesn't seem to make anybody definitively good for any stretch of time. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of people have suffered from, not least Roman Reigns, because he hasn't had a definitively until now 
a definitively dominant run. And that's how WWE works. You know, like you look back at the big runs of all the big stars, whether they were face or they were heel, they had to be dominant. And now they are dominant again in the main event, but it takes an awful long time to get there. Do you see what I mean? I mean, the other big problem is that they don't want anything unless they have made it now. No, that's true, which is, you know, a bit of an issue. I'm wondering if um, Drew McIntyre will actually be the last person who went out and made himself, or AJ Styles possibly, to the last people that made themselves elsewhere and then came back to the company. But we shall see. Um, Next up on this card was an intriguing little matchup. Now, there was a faction um, of big heels uh, involving uh, Linus Asuka, Carol Mid- uh, sorry, Linus Asuka, Shark Shashia, the bloody Michikoko, Nakashima, Sayuro Kino, and Evil Saiwai, who were kind of coming in to dominate over the LPW. Oh, an invading force coming in to upset your promotion. Where have we seen that before in wrestling? <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit of a tried concept, but stay, bear with us, because this is quite good. Linus Asker at this point was 99, so she was just a couple of years before she went to Gaia for the big run of the Crush Girls breakup angle, and then the Crush Girls re, re, rejoining together um, for that massive, massive match in Yokohama. Um, and at the moment, she was booking, or she was about to start booking for um, Arcyon and Carol Midori is an interesting wrestler um, I was trying to see where I remember before and I remember on an old DVD I had of like greatest matches of Joshi she wrestled Shinobi Kandori for an hour <laughs> <laughs> this small tiny little woman got the snot beat out of her for an hour <laughs> and just Jesus. kept plugging away <laughs> You know, and kept surprising Kandori. And it was a genius professional wrestling match because Midori's a counter-wrestler. She's tiny. Um, and that's what she does here with Asuka. She kind of like runs rings around her own speed and, and just determination. But Asuka is the legend and she has the big power moves. And she uses the Thunder Fire Powerbomb and then the Straight Powerbomb to defeat Midori. But, you know, Kandori couldn't do anything with her for an hour. That was really cool. <laughs> uh, and Midori is... Uh, an excellent technical wrestler and the perfect babyface for a heel lioness Asuka, um, who at this point in her career is kind of refining what the heel role is going to be for her in the second phase of her career. What's your thoughts on this one, John? Yeah, this was a very evil match. Because <laughs> I remember all the other sort of lioness Asuka matches we've watched, a lot of them have been with her either being a face or being the sort of nastier version of what she is here and i was just kind of like god matari is really selling the shit out of this it's a very cleverly constructed match and as you said matari is sort of perfect for what Asuka's is trying to achieve here and yeah again much like i've said with the other matches it's just great to watch it is it's it's just it's just insane. <laughs> That's what, what after the like the dump Matsumoto matches we were watching like a couple of weeks back, I was thought I was just like, Oh shit, Asuka's a heel here. Yeah, yeah. Now she she obviously retired from all Japan women in nineteen ninety at the same time as uh um Chigasu Nagayo because they were 
they'd reached 26. And the 26 were all stopped for no man, or sorry, woman. Um, and in this particular case, even the biggest draws in women's wrestling history, they weren't going to let them go past 26. <laughs> have we ever actually talked about the 26 rule? Oh, we have talked like... about it in the past, but shall I explain the 26 rule? I just, I can't understand it. Like, I'm, it sounds like such a sort of asinine concept. So, like... the, so the, well, I explain the 26 rule for new listeners who have not heard about the 26 rule. The whole idea of the 26 rule was that all Japan women was the hardest working promotion on earth, and which is true. And the attrition rate for wrestlers was ridiculously high. They lost more people in their dojos than any of the male wrestling company did because it was so tough. And the matches were of such high quality and such high pace that women couldn't literally keep up. The idea being by the time they get to 25, they're done. There is the other side of that particular coin as well, as Chelsea quite pointed out. The reason why they retired at 26 was because it was like Christmas creeks. Nobody wants you after the 25th. So to enable them to have a married life and settle down and find a man, they had to retire at 25, which, of course, is a horribly sexist idea. Now, it had one positive impact, which was they never had to worry about making new stars because their top dogs were always going to retire. So they just had a continuous factory from about 1968 to about 1995, where they just continued rotating their top drawers because they got to 25 and they retired. <laughs> and if you've seen the AJW 25th anniversary show, you realize how many major draws they had because they invited all of them back to come and do a ceremony in the ring and there's about 30 of them. And you look at them and go, they've sold out arenas all over Japan. They've sold out arenas all over Japan. They've sold out arenas all over Japan. And in 1990, JWP and PW were born with that mind because um, they hired Devil Masami as one of the key baby faces for the company. Um, and and uh, as she was nearly 30, she was still a massive draw in Josh. Accomplished wrestlers in the world. They uh, decided that, hey, maybe we could actually get this off the ground and, you know, not worry about the 26 rule. And as the company was founded partly by Jackie Sato of the Beauty Bear, who sadly passed away in 1992 because of breast cancer, but she was one of the people that said, why do I have to stop? <laughs> Why do I have to stop? I shouldn't have to stop. I'm still really good at this. I still have something to contribute to the industry. And then when Nagayo came back in 1995, um, she wrestled in 94 with some matches on the Dream Slam tour where she wrestled Devil Masami, which was a, a I wouldn't say never seen before match, but not at that level. They'd wrestled each other lower down the card and in tags a lot, but they'd never wrestled each other as, you know, two senior baby faces of any wrestling company and also wrestled Bull Nakano, who was also on her way out because she was 25-ish and she'd had a big run with the title and made as much money out as I could and Vince McMahon was a calling. So a big round-off series with Chikasu Nagaya was a good send-off. And that's when, you know, these companies now have to figure out, well, we've got these big-name stars. How do we make the next generation of big-name stars? Does that make more sense now? Yeah, I just always thought it was a stupid rule. Like, it's it's done for the best of, well, 
<laughs> it's done for health reasons to a degree, but like the sexism can get fucked. Yeah, I mean, it, I can understand the point. Um, but you know, being a life of a Joshi is awful. You don't watch it on their worst enemy. The drive these women have and the amount of effort they pour in to like make their careers at 15 and 16 years old and they're putting incredibly as vulnerable people put into incredibly awful positions and are exploited. This is the thing as a wrestling fan. Someone pointed out on Twitter this week, there is no uh, way to consume wrestling that isn't uh, negatively affecting somebody's life because the moment somebody locks up with somebody else, somebody is going to get hurt a little bit. And that's true. I can't deny that fact. And I've been a wrestling fan for long enough to understand that I'm responsible for my actions and why I watch, I watch very carefully because of the way it can put people into certain positions, especially with what's happened in the last couple of years. And we know more about the backside of the industry than we ever have done before. And as much as I love this stuff, I also know there was a past to pray for it to happen. And I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that as much as I used to be. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think these are really important statements to watch as pieces of art, but that are either a lot of psychic baggage to go with it. Let's say that anyway. But yes, Midori and Asuka, excellent work. And then we get to our main event. Rumi Kazami, who is the president of um, LLPW, Shinobi Kandori, who was their ace and biggest draw, and tagging with Yashuka Reina, and they defeated Eagle Saiwai, who was LLPW's top babyface up until this point, Michiku Nagashima and Sayuru Okina, um, who were part of Lioness Asuka's invading army. Um, This was a battle and a half. There was blood everywhere. It was interference on both sides as the babyfacey trainees came in to interfere on behalf of the babyface team and the heel tag partners came in to interfere in the path of the heel team. This was a blistering High-speed, high-stakes wrestling match. What's your thoughts on this one, John? This went on forever. Like, I'm not complaining about that. I was just the pace it was at and the violence on in the like on display. I was just kind of like, how are you still going? Like, I think it's <laughs> went half an hour or so, and I was just watching. And I'm like, you should be dead. You should be th-. again. Running theme of this show. Just watching it and thinking, you should be dead. You should be dead. You should be dead. How are you getting up? It was <laughs> mad. Like. As you said, there's interference on both sides. There's just continuous sort of back and forth. There's none of this sort of, oh, one side is dominant. Because before you know it, like, you're being swarmed again. It gets quite bloody, and it's, yeah, it's one of these ultimate battles of attrition. Yeah, in fact, essentially, like, the, the, Kazama, Kandori, and Karina win when the other's just too worn out to continue. It's, it's like Dynamite Kid used to call it selling on your knees. And that's what, that's what they were doing here because they were shot. They could not move and they barely moved after this match. And Eagle Sideway ends up getting pinned. And then her faction turn on her when she offers congratulations to the other team. And we start the story again. <laughs> Why not? Let's have another go. Now we change sides and we off we go again. And it's so simple, but yet so good. I don't get how, like, wrestling's supposed to be simple. You have some bad guys who are bad guys for a certain reason. You have some good guys who are good guys for a certain reason. You figure out how to occur and create a set of attrition between these two sides. Press record. And that's it. <laughs> and that's what I love about LLPW. 
there aren't really bad guys. There aren't really good guys. There's some people who have an agenda, and there's some other people who have an agenda, and then that agenda takes over their entire being, and then war, and that's where it should be. That's what wrestling is. It's very Bill Watts. Bill Watts would have loved this. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wouldn't have enjoyed the fact that there was women bleeding everywhere, but you know. <laughs> that was one of my favourite tweets today somebody put something about Britt Baker in that match with Thunder Rosa where she ended up bleeding everywhere and she said and they said no woman has ever bled like this and someone quote T to do it says women bleed like that every month <laughs> the dentist isn't special <laughs> it's like yes completely true but anywho yeah uh, it was a woman by the way not a man who said that so that, that's fine <laughs> Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on the card and its presentation? Because it was fairly bog standard as it was just a house show. Well, for a house show, it felt pretty like high spec. It, I think it's one of the few times where we've watched an actual sort of video in 720. So that might just be down to the Rio Plata. <laughs> I think yeah. it, it felt like they put a lot of effort in for a house show. I mean, it was a sellout at Currican Hall, and there's there's big names on this card. Yeah, that was the other thing I was quite surprised by. It's just like, who was on for, like, as you said, it was a house show, and it was just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> These are the names you've got. This is what you've got them doing, and it looks awesome. Yeah, it did. And, you know, a lot of it is down to the fact that wrestling's wrestling, and that, that's, that if you do it right, that, that's the way it is. Um, so that covers LLPW and we're going to move a couple of years down the line with some of the similar uh, personnel and I'm just looking at this because I'm looking at the current design ah uh, yeah, the current, this is at Ottawa Gymnasium, now Ottawa Gymnasium was rebuilt oh that's the basketball arena, I want the gymnasium <laughs> not that one, Ottawa Gymnasium Otter Central Ottawa Gymnasium, there we go um, because that's a four thousand seater arena, arena, <laughs> four thousand seater arena for Ottawa Ward Gymnasium. See, because Ottawa General Gymnasium. There you go. Wrestling days. This seems about. Oh, there we go. Sorry about this. I'm trying to get the trying to. It's open, by the way. Ottawa Ward Baseball Stadium. If you want to go, um, <laughs> uh, Ottawa Gymnasium. It's about. Ooh, Stadham put 1,500 there for the 2025 Grand Prix final. So, oh, no, 2,500. Oh, yeah, you can, Dragon Gate put in, you can put 4,000 people in Ottawa Gymnasium, and it was packed for the show, wasn't it? Really? Mm. So, yeah, so this is AJW from 2001. Now, obviously, they have lost a lot of talent to Gaia because Akira Hokuto went to Gaia. Um, a few of the AJW women went to Gaia, and they're obviously not recruiting as many people to their dojo as they used to because there's the Gaia dojo, there's the LPW dojo, and there's the JWP dojo. So there's options. And they have got some talented wrestlers, as we'll see in the main event. However, they're trying to broach a new style that isn't so reliant on mega workers because they had the greatest workers of all time. And how do you top that? <laughs> So what comes up is a card of interesting um, styles, clashes, and changes. So this was Art War Gymnasium in 2001. It was a special taped for uh, Fuji TV, which was their major promotion all the time. 
And it opened with a match that isn't on the tape, which was the WWWA World Midget title match between Tomazio Sunakake and Mr. Budaman, which lasted 4 minutes and 35, 39 seconds, with Sunakake taking the title. Um, do you I know don't the love as- to see that. That sounds incredible. <laughs> do you know the associate why, the, why the, there was a WWWA Midget Championship? <laughs> I'm guessing they were important to Fuji TV. No, right. Okay, so... Right, back in the day, imagine yourselves as a promoter in the 1950s, okay? And uh, you're a member of the NWA, okay? And you need your special attractions. Well, the special attractions in the 1950s were run by um, the women's promoter, a guy called Wolf, who was married to Mildred Burke, right? Right. And Mildred Burke was the NWA and world's women's champion. Two different titles, have to be stressed that two different titles um and they end up in a rather messy divorce case that was actually settled by the nwa when it came to the wrestling side of things anyway and as you can imagine that went swimmingly well (laughs) um and essentially the nwa she divorced him got rid of him because he was a womanizing horror anyway and she began running the wrestling by herself um but the NWA didn't allow women at the um, board meetings. And as she was the women's representative, she wasn't allowed to go into the meetings. And they decided to run women's wrestling. They needed someone who knew what they was doing. So they got Wolf back and mm-hmm. so made her a boss. So, you know, NWA wasn't always the nice place that we kind of imagine it was from the past. But anyway, Mildred Burke, one way around or another, ended up forming her own promotion. Uh, in California, called the World Women's Right World Women's Worldwide Women's Wrestling Association, and a lot of the special attraction wrestlers, like midgets, didn't really work with the NWA anymore because of the way they treated Mildred, and they saw themselves as you know a minority within the with the NWA. So they end up being co-promoters with the WWWA, and the women's talent went out with midgets, and that's how Mildred, who always looked after them ended up with a Midgets World Championship, aside from the NWA World Championship. And when the association started with All Japan Women in 1968, they took on that association as well. as a different kind of thing to put on their cards. And mm. it carried through right through to the very end of uh, All Japan Women, because Mildred Burke endorsed AJW and gave them the titles to defend because she wasn't promoting anymore in California. What a roller coaster of a tale. Oh, Don't say what a nice little story, and then I remembered it opens with like an abusive <laughs> marriage. It's just like, it's not that nice, really. But... It's not really nice, no. But the, the end of it is Mildred Burt was the greatest professional. I think you do not have modern women's wrestling without Mildred Burke. And because of Moolah, who was great for her time, but obviously a horrible person, um, but of what Moolah did, it kind of overshadows what Mildred Burke did. And Mildred Burke suffered horrific sexism in the 1950s. Um, she had to have a bodyguard with her when she retired from wrestling. That's how bad it got for her. And she was always portrayed as this crazy woman. Um, I remember reading a book about wrestling and they covered the Mildred Burke story um, in a kayfabe way. But they were stressing the fact that, you know, she's constantly upset and hysterical. It's like, well, yeah, someone tried to take a livelihood away from her. 
<laughs> yeah, I would be too if I was damn good at my job and nobody's listening to me because of my gender. That's no. She lost the women's world heavyweight championship in a double cross. It was one of the most famous double crosses of the time. She was wrestling, I think it was Judy by June Byers, and she lost the first fall. And the referee refused to count any more pinfalls, and it got to the time limit on curfew, and they called the match early, and she lost the title, even though the NWA rules at the time said, in a best of three falls match, it has to go to three falls, or the title doesn't change hands. <laughs> you know, they 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 really did screw her out the championship. <laughs> so it's yeah, but anywho, let us talk more about. Slightly more modern professional wrestling. So this um, actual card opens with Miyuki Fuji against Mika Nishio in nine minutes and four seconds. And again, a, a kind of rookie style match. But you do wonder what Mika Nishio had done to somebody to like get her head kicked in for that nine minutes, really. Yeah, <laughs> this, this was vicious. <laughs> I was just like, how much money do you owe her? This is horrible. It was pretty intense, you know. It did it, it just didn't slow down because um, you know uh, Fuyuki is kind of like a shoot style wrestler and proper ad, <laughs> um, and Nishio was kind of like nice little rookie girl, really. And yeah, it it, it, it didn't go well for her in the end, but she put give it the old college try. Yeah. This is um, one of those matches yeah. where you can sum it up perfectly because it's literally rookie gets shit kicked out of them for nine minutes. Like, yes, <laughs> just imagine Suzuki in there with a young lion. That that's basically what we're getting here. It's just murder. And obviously, it had a, a horrible long term effect on her career because she ended up joining Oz Academy um, as a manager of Oz Academy. Um, along with police, uh, you know, police is a horrible human being. <laughs> Not really. Um, and she's still with them, I think. She hasn't retired yet. Uh, she's, yeah, oh, she had five years in, in wrestling from uh, at that particular time. Um, that was one of her earliest matches. Um, and then, yeah, she gave up on wrestling to become a manager, which is more of her style. But she became a manager of the worst faction in the whole, not not the worst, as in bad wrestling, the worst, as in the most evil faction in wrestling history. So, <laughs> the League of Wrestling Supervillains. Well, yeah, have you watched Oz Academy before? Yes, I've seen how nightmarish police actually are. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, if you haven't watched Oz Academy, imagine a wrestling promotion where the Hontai team are the heels. So there's more of them than anyone else. And all of the good guys are fighting uphill. There you go. And everything ends in a no rope. Well, everything ends in a double hell death um, hair match. Because that's the only way they can end feuds. Every well, two years. Never get the hair Academy. Oh, we haven't got to that part yet. Because we've covered it in the sense of Oz Academy exists at this particular time. Mio, Mio Miyazaki and Akira Hokuto have founded Oz Academy, but we haven't actually like looked enough Gaia with Oz Academy stuff in. 
So I think that's maybe our next history show is find some Oz Academy from the early 2000s because they did do individual shows themselves that were just heel shows. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so the heels would wrestle the baby faces, but with heel referees. So the heels would go, the, the baby faces just constantly lost all the time. <laughs> it was essentially two hours of the kids getting beaten up. But there you go. So yes, uh, but yeah, it was fun, this. I really enjoyed it. So what did, uh, should we move on to the next one? Because we didn't know if a lot said to it. It's, it is kind of a beating. Yeah. But, but Fuji is a good person to give a beating. She's well qualified. <laughs> well, she was selling it like a champ. And now let us move on to some inappropriate cultural appropriation. Okay. I was wondering if this was gonna happen. The second I saw what they came out, oh. and I was just like, this is gonna be brought up instantly. <laughs> oh good lord. Right. So <laughs> Takoka in a way is in this match. She had left AJW in the late 1990s and joined LLPW and was tagging with Eagle Sideway in this match. So she's not an AJW representative. They're going up against Ko Naumi. And Miha Wakazawa. Wakazawa. Now, Numi and Wakazawa are kind of the embodiment of the new age of AJW, where it was more about poses and having fun than having great wrestling matches. As some would argue, the wheels fell off at this particular point. <laughs> <laughs> However, I'm not one of those people because Waki Wakizawa is one of the most individually insane professional wrestlers I've ever come across. And I watch. Raisuki Taguchi on a regular basis, and he she makes him seem normal. Um, <laughs> Wakazawa actually came out of retirement in around about 2012 to join Stardom, as uh, you know, she was friends with Nana Takahashi from that particular period, and kind of like gave them a steadying hand. She's best mates with a lot of the older Joshi. Um, oh, Ring of Old Lady, Ring of Honor Lady, who I love, whose name is completely gone out of my head. Yeah, she's best mates with Sumi Sakai. Um, or one of her best mates. Um, and Wakazawa starts her career at this particular point, and it doesn't really come across as about being about a great wrestler, though she's actually pretty handy, and so is Naomi, but it's more about being babyface characters, to which end they decide to come out dressed as Native Americans, or at least what they think Native Americans should look like. And it's awful. <laughs> it's just horrifically bad. I can't say anything nice about it. John? It, it, it's very stereotypical. It, it was... I cracked up looking at it because I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> it, it's bad. It's, like, it's, I, it's I hilariously know. bad. It's just... It's yeah. one of those ultimate sort of shirt collar pulling oh moments. <laughs> it's like, what did you think you were doing? This is Roddy Piper versus Bad News Brown at WrestleMania or Royal Rumble. Was it WrestleMania? WrestleMania, where he painted himself half black for no apparent reason and couldn't understand why that was racist. It's like that. <laughs> I was assuming then though, that was the eighties and people were still dick. No, no, well, 2001, then... we were slowly starting to realize that we probably shouldn't be doing this yeah this well, i just look at him going what what were they thinking and then i realized eagle sci they obviously wanted and if you look at the match and watch the match 
they obviously wanted to bring Eagle Siwai, which is obviously a great name of several great Native American leaders, Eagle, not Siwai, obviously, because she's Japanese, um, to the fold. And I'm like, oh my God. And if you watch the match at one point, I think Naomi has Siwai in a camel clutch and uh, Wakizawa puts face paint on her. And I'm like, oh my God. Do you not realize how offensive this is? And um, yeah. <laughs> As for the wrestling match. Well, to be honest, you think Wakazawa and Numi are going to get killed because they're slightly built, normal looking wrestlers. And in a way, is, you know, vicious and sidewise a monster. And I've seen them murder people. So I'm looking at Wakazawa and Numi going, yeah, you're going to get killed. But they didn't. <laughs> they just basically no sold everything for 10 minutes and I'm like you brave brave people on so many levels didn't they attack him with paint as well yeah I like it's, it's, it was it's, such an odd match it, it's not bad apart from the awfulness <laughs> I mean like awfulness like you know I can't. I can't even begin to describe how awful this is. Like, I mean, at from... least they didn't come out to like some kind of drum music or something. Could you imagine if that had? Oh happened? God, no, no. They did use their regular themes. I just... <laughs> what were you thinking? It's like I, I, I'm just oh, and and it all ends up in double DQ because it's such a massive brawl at the end, and eventually they hit the referee with a chair. I think. And the referee goes, right, I'm not having any of this. <laughs> they don't pay me enough to deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> he's one third Cherokee and he's having enough things off. Right. But yeah, no, this is a hard work of art. And like, Wakizawa is a crazy genius as a professional wrestler. And he's got her trademark written all over it. Numi was there along for the ride. And you can see Wakizawa going, we're going to do this. And you've got to be with me on this or it's not going to work. And Numi's like, I'm with you on this. And there were choices that were made. I'm not sure, because in, in, at this point, Inouye is beating people with a cattle prod, which is her signature weapon of choice. Still, 20 years later, still beating people with cattle prods. Because um, she was such a soft, sweet, innocent young lady when she was tagging with Kiyoki Inouye. And then Kiyoki Inouye went away, and you were left with Takoko Inouye to her own devices. And then when she went to LRPW and started hanging out with Eagle Sideway, and it was all going to go downhill from there, wasn't it, really? Let's be honest. So, yeah. So there's that. (laughs) I knew the second they came out in that gab that you were going to have a fit over it. Good God. I purposely didn't say anything as I watched it because I needed to have this, like, pure shock. I'm just like, what were you thinking? (laughs) Why? I just... (laughs) I, it's just like, you know, we live in an age where the Washington Redskins are no longer the Washington Redskins. They're just the Washington football team because, you know, when we're talking about the Atlanta Braves and stuff like that. But even then, <laughs> it's just like, what are you doing? Should we move on to the next match? Yeah, let's... Which arguably could be the greatest elimination tag match ever. It's certainly in contention. Yeah, so... AJW have all of these young upstarts like uh, Kiro Ito and Momo Nakanishi and Nano Takahashi and Tomoka Watanabe and they need something to seal these four aces as being over 
And what better way than to get four of your previous aces to come back to the company or, you know, on their way out from the company to do an elimination tag match with your new young upstarts. And, you know, just to make it interesting, what we're going to do <laughs> is, though it's elimination rules, you can stay at ringside. Because, you know, that that's not going to affect the result in any way, shape or form. And what happens well, essentially, there's two things going on at once. There's a wrestling match, and there's Itsuka Mita trying to behave herself. <laughs> and she tries, and she really, really tries, and she really, really tries. And then she sees the corner, and she sees her yellow chair, and she sees Momo Nakanishi's forehead. And that's it. And after that, the LCO are back, and they don't care. And they flat out murder people for about five minutes until Nakanishi can pin Mita. <laughs> and then things start to calm down again. This match is 30 minutes and 27 seconds. There is not one submission hold in this entire match. There is not one rest hold in this match. Nearly a wrist lock. It is full impact maneuvers from beginning to end. And they were all told to take the brakes off. There is blood everywhere. <laughs> I have never seen people move this quickly. And I couldn't tell you what was going on for a good 15 minutes of it, but I know for a fact it was some of the best professional wrestling I've ever seen. They blew spots left, right, and center, and I didn't care because I was in the moment. There's a one point where Makawa um, and Mita, sorry, Makawa and Shimoda are trying this double axe kick thing and they miss it. So they pick them up five minutes later and do the exact same thing again because, damn it, we said we're going to do it and we're going to do it. I, I am absolutely astounded at Momo Nakanishi's resilience. I have seen her wrestle in ridiculous circumstances before and I've seen her do ridiculous things, but this was about the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen her do. Maybe the match her and Nana, uh, Nana Takahashi, Nana Momo, who were one of the best tag teams AJW ever had, they had a feud with the LCO, which is one of the best tag matches I ever saw. And Nakanishi was beaten to a pulp in that match. Um, that was maybe the more ridiculous thing I've seen her do, but this was just insane. This really just I, I don't understand how people can move that quickly for that one and do the things that they were doing with such accuracy and precision. And Manami Toyota is the greatest professional wrestler who ever lived. And through all of this chaos, she manages to pull out things that are just beophatic beauty um, that are difficult to describe. Um, even in the middle of all this chaos, you just see so many beautiful things from her. And I, I'm going to stop being effusive about this match and let John speak because I think I might have run out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> this was a 30-minute car crash. Like, but isn't it the most? Talking... I'm going to say, but isn't it the most beautiful car crash you ever saw? Oh yeah, like I talk about the sort of car crash multi-person Joshi matches. They normally last about 10 minutes, and they go at this pace. This lasted 30 and didn't let up once. It's incredible the sort of like stamina and endurance these lads have. It's, there are some sickening shots in this as well. Like It's people getting kicked in the head, getting dropped on their head. Some of the nastiest chair shots I've ever seen. Like There's one near the end where they've got... I can't remember who it is, but she's hung up in the ropes. They're holding her arms. There's a chair around her head and... In Manami Toyota just boots it into her. Yeah, that'd be what an RB. It's just the nastiest thing I've seen in ages. I was just like, what the fuck? 
this was chaos, but it was such controlled chaos. Like, as you said, they blew spots, but they knew what they were doing. They had this non-stop barrage of just manic action. And then you throw in, well, everyone's still here, so of course they're still going to get involved. <laughs> it was... I just watched for half the time, like, you got eliminated and yet you're back. You got eliminated and you're back. And, oh, you got eliminated and you're back. And, yeah, everyone's just getting kicked in the head. I mean, Mimo Shimoda is the person who taught Jay White to be Jay White. Are you going to tell her what to do? She is a wrestling god. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I could try and I'd come away with, like, several missing teeth in my head at the wrong (laughs) angle. Just... I honestly like Makawa and, and Toyota were on the receiving end of several Meter and Shimoda beatings down the years. I mean, the match that made Meter and Shimoda as the LCO was uh, Minami Toyota and Toshi Yamada when you know the LCO announced themselves on the world stage by literally slicing Minami Toyota open. If you're going to be the biggest, baddest heels in the land, slicing up Minami Toyota at babyface peak. With, as part of you know the greatest tag team of all time, that's the way you start. You set your stall out there, <laughs> you know, and it's like it just. I mean, I can't. The LCO are the greatest women's tag team uh, for me. I know the Crush Girls earned more money. I know Jumping Bob Angels were probably technically better, and Yamada and Teo had more dominance. But as a complete package, like the Eddie Guerreros of tag team wrestling. The LCO were it. Someone said, "Oh, I can't remember what the Dudleys are. Oh, Dudleys are no one. You can't argue with the Dudleys being the greatest tag team of all time." And I said, "The LCO would have taken their lunch money and made them cry because <laughs> they are evil, proper evil, and they know how to do it better than anybody else." And in this match, it was supposed to be kind of a fun exhibition. They just lost their patience, and Toyota's there. I'm going with you. <laughs> You know, it's like someone was trying to persuade me Minami to it was a pure white me baby face. I'm like, nah, she won. <laughs> <laughs> she did what she needed to do to win. That was her character. There was she no, was the best. no one was good in this match. No, no one, one had good the demon features. <laughs> Everyone was just murderous. Well, Nakanishi, even like this tiny little woman, them... Shotgun drop kick, she throws on Shimoda in the first like five minutes. And Shimoda's neck is snapping back and snapping back because she's kicking her in the face. She didn't like going for a chest or a shoulder. She's drop kicking her in the face from point blank range while she's on the floor. So she's got nowhere to go. <laughs> it's like it's like if you ever wondered why Nanai Takahashi got the reputation she does, this was probably where it started. <laughs> There's, I mean, this, I mean, as far I think it's the following year, it may be the previous year, LCO and Nana Momo would have this ungodly match where Shimoda had put Takahashi through a table in the first three minutes. And that's how they started. And it got more violent from there. Like all four of them were bleeding like still pigs by the end of the match. I you know, covered that match. I talked about it before, but um, we haven't watched it now. It's not on a. Horrible LCO matches. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, LCO just just we we covered uh, Miami Izaki Nakira Okuto against the LCO at that Gaia show, and we covered. I think we looked at the Aja Kong beating when they debuted in Arceon. Maybe 
yeah, that was. Oh, and yeah, um, Aquino and I mean, I think their most famous bloodbath will be Aquino and um, oh, uh, Hamada versus the LCO for the Arceon Queen of the Arceon Tiles. That's the one I'm probably Prisa, getting. Yeah. That's the one which, I'm probably thinking of. Which is the probably the most famous picture of Hamada when she gets to the back and she's just face covered in blood. <laughs> you know, that was that which pretty much kind of like made her as a superstar in Arceon and made her the ace of the company. Um so they knew one thing or two about making stars, and the youngsters do come off so well in this particular match especially Nakanishi, who does most of the legwork for the babyface team, and Watanabe and Takahashi. Not to say that Ito doesn't like put some time in, she does, but those three really do look like superstars, don't they? This was just incredible. Yeah, they all looked pretty damn good coming out of this. I'm amazed no one has ranked it on uh, Cage Match, actually. It's just, it's just sad. Someone ju- the, the match was on kids. This show was on cage match. It was on YouTube, but yeah, no. This you should watch this. I'd be very happy if someone joined cage match just to rate this match and give it like nah, like uh, ten out of ten or something like this. Because I can't, I can't think. I mean, of, of all the Survivor Series and elimination style matches I've watched down the years, none go this fast. None go for this long. None of this intense. And it's kind of a nothing match in the sense of like there's no build up to it. It's just old generation versus new generation and they really say out that they tell the story of the new generation gaining dominance over the older generation step by step which is beautiful storytelling but it's layered into this intricate match which is so technically difficult to pull off and you have to be so tough to do it's just it just defies belief that it even exists really <laughs> but yeah Anywho, shall we move on to the main event? As if you needed more after that whirlwind, then well, what more? See, this is the thing. It's like the actual draw for this was Yumuki Hata versus Shinobu Kandori in a Valet Tudo match. For those of you who don't know what Valet Tudo is, it's a, a Brazilian martial art that was popular in the late 90s and early 2000s. And it was part of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu kind of tree of martial arts mixed in with a bunch of other fighting styles. And... Um, obviously popularized by the Gracie brothers, really. Um, and Hotter was a genuine tube-style badass, and Kandori was a former uh, bronze medal Olympian um, in wrestling, you know, another shoot-style badass. And so they decided to have a shoot match, um, which was really a bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to watch these two have a wrestling match, because, you know, I'm not an MMA expert or anything. But it was, I think it would have been a bit more fun to watch for me. Well, that's my taste, I guess. What did you think of it, John? I feel like it suffered purely because it followed such a whirlwind of a match. It was like this very drastic change of pace. Like, don't get me wrong, I I quite like this style of match. Like, I love blood sport and things like that. Shoot fighting will always be interesting to me, but... I feel like it had the wind knocked out of it because it had just there'd just been like a thirty minute elimination car crash before it. And as such, the crowd was kinda knackered, the viewers are probably kinda knackered, and it's just like cool, leg locks, piss, uh, punches, <laughs> uh 
the occasional lockup. Oh, it's over. It only lasts seven minutes and twenty seconds, but it feels longer purely because of the pacing of it. Yeah, I mean, we know that AJW did loads of mixed martial arts matches in the nineteen nineties. They had their own mixed martial arts championship. Uh, Bat Yoshinaga was champion for so long, and I think me and Chelsea did commentary in about seven of her matches and title defenses. And it was like watching a different person when she was in a mixed martial arts match compared to when she was in a wrestling match. Um, and obviously, Yoshinaga has been retired well on point at this point. And it just, I mean, I remember at the time reading Power Slam and, you know, Finn Martin was making the point is that wrestling doesn't make as much money as it used to because kind of MMA, you're talking about the early days of K1 and Pride um, had kind of taken over the kind of draw because that was real. You know, we're still talking in that kind of sense. Wrestling hadn't had its renaissance of, well, it doesn't matter, it's not real, if that makes sense. So MMA kind of like had taken over that that draw certainly that that 18 to 30 demographic in japan which have been watching age of jw which have been watching fmw which have been watching these alternative products they kind of got their teeth into pride into k1 rather than professional wrestling so ajw wants some of that action and they have available to them some pretty handy shooters and to be honest when the wrestlers do go to the shoot proper shoot promotions in japan they do pretty well because they're already tougher than most of the people that have got on their MMA rosters. So this is kind of an early days example of, you know, how this was going to work in the long run. You know, there is a direct line, as there always is from wrestling to MMA, but this is kind of a, you kind of really don't get uh, the big female draws without things like this. Like, you know, uh, it was Holly Holmes' big match through the night, wasn't it? I think she lost, but, you know, the stars of that particular stature, the stature which are big stars in UFC that draw money now, without this proving it could draw money, it doesn't really exist as a as a as a medium. You know, UFC was male only for so long. So I think it's more historically important than entertaining professional wrestling, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. So having thought about this, these two cards. What's your thoughts on them and that particular time period of Joshi? Well, both had the, like, massive upsides. They were both pretty high-speed, like, high-risk products. Both, like, obviously had pretty amazing matches on them and the talent's there. We're obviously sort of aware of what's going on around them, but within their own little bubble, they've managed to maintain some of, like, the stars of old and kept them going they're making new stars along the way and everyone seems to be enjoying it there's definitely bigger like there's some nice sized crowds for them the presentation's improving it's i think that's the big difference is they put ajw put money into um presentation not so much lpw because it's the wrestling kind of sells itself but ajw like the graphics the the entrance ramp the lighting rig at ottawa gymnasium New Japan don't even... minute opening ceremony. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, there was at the beginning of this show. <laughs> I kind of blocked it out because that 30-minute scramble match just, <laughs> just kind of, like, blew my mind. But at the beginning of the show, a lot of the young stars were 
doing a song and dance routine. You know, it was it was still very much AJW tradition, AJW tradition to mix music and professional wrestling, just as TJPW do now and as Stardom do now, and certainly as Ice Ribbon have done for a long time. What did you think of the opening ceremony? <laughs> it was fine, but I am. Um... I skipped through a lot of it because I was in a. <laughs> uh, yes, I can't remember who was involved, but there was singing the and dancing, video, and I was just kind of like, right. I do have two hours set aside, but I would like to be done earlier. So I kind of yes. just, I was sort of like tapping through, and it was like, there's all the entrances. Oh, there's a song and dance number. It's quite nice, but matches wrestling. <laughs> It, it, I will point out, it was very Spice Girls. There was lots of platform boots and sparkly mini dresses. It was 2001. And it was. You kind of went with the territory at that particular point. Um, but yeah, uh, so it was that as well. But yeah, the actual production that they put into it was just like on another level. And I think they kind of learned their lesson from the 90s stuff of make it look professional. Um, and I think that was important. Okay, then. Well, that kind of wraps up the Troopany show for today. Uh, next week, I'm not really sure because I can't remember when World Tag League finishes. <laughs> best of Super Juniors. Is it Best of Super Juniors final next week? It seems like it's gone on forever. We're on night 11, and I still think there's about 17 nights to go. Um, <laughs> I think it might be longer than the G1 tour. Uh, but anyway, there's that this week. So there'll be more today at when I get a chance to watch all the wrestling and comment on it. Which is harder than you think, because trying to do a 10-minute podcast at half nine at night when you've got neighbours isn't much fun. You try not to do those kind of things. Um, but the actual shows themselves have been quite watchable. Um, it was Ten Cozy's 30th anniversary this week. Oh, I hope um, there was cake and bread. The, <laughs> they got them flowers. And pictures of Kojima the night he won the IWGP Championship with the G1 trophy and the World Tag League trophies in the ring with him. And the night the Tenzan won the G1 in going in an open top car around uh, Budokan. Oh, not Budokan, it would have been uh, Sumo Hall back then, wouldn't it? And Masahiro Chono came in and told them what you two old bastards playing at. <laughs> I feel like Kojima needs another title run. How they did it a couple of years ago when they were absolutely desperate. I'm not sure they're absolutely desperate. Having said that, they're not doing bad in World Tag League. I think they've got six like, points. Kojima is one of the most over wrestlers there has been and ever will be. Just look at when he went to AEW for that one show and people loved him. It's oh, like, yeah. I feel like, I don't know, it'd just be nice to see him with a title again. I think he would. I mean, I don't know. I can't. I mean, Dangerous Techers were teasing them with it this week. You know, they went they went in the ring with them and like just kind of like put the title, they're like, hey, we've got your belts, ha, ha, ha. And I think maybe they would maybe give them a title shot, maybe at New Beginnings, somewhere down the line. It depends if Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. Leave, will tag, will leave Wrestle Kingdom weekend with the tag team titles. So we shall see. Um, uh, but, yeah, I'm not really sure. Um uh, it, it's yeah, it was, but it was a nice ceremony and it was nice to see them. And it was a cool main event that night because obviously at World Tag League, everyone gets the main event. So Nagata and Tiger Mask wrestled Takemichi Noku and Minoru Suzuki. 
So they're like combined age of 212 or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> but it, it was fun. I mean, it's Nagata and Suzuki. I can't complain about that. Oh, no, it was ace. It was really, really good. Um, it was, it probably, it got a little bit outshone because Gorillas of Destiny wrestled um, Dangerous Techers in the match before. So it was kind of like, you know, there's there's the big dogs in the yard kind of thing. Though it wasn't, it wasn't one of their 25-minute epics, if you see what I mean. So it wasn't quite so bad, you know. Sorry, they actually put on a reasonably length match. Oh, yeah, they put in like 20 minutes, I think, for... 20 minutes, that's maybe 15 to 20 minutes for Nagata and, and Tiger Mask against Suzuki Gun, and then it was probably around about 18 minutes for G.O.D., but it kind of ended suddenly. They didn't even get to finishes. For those of you who haven't seen it, I will not spoil it for you, but yeah, it kind of just went, oh, oh, ooh. <laughs> so yeah, but this intrigue, well, Tag is kind of interesting because they've done that mix thing. Like... Um, the leaders of the tournament are, um, I can't remember who's leading the tournament, but it's a surprising team who are leading the tournament. And Yano and Tanahashi are second. So I'm like, ooh, Yano and Tanahashi in the World Tag League final. Like, Tana has pulled with dreadful partners for the last 15 years. He finally gets a good one and they get to the final. <laughs> That would be intriguing. I'd like to see Tariano and Tanahashi in, at Wrestle Kingdom challenging for the tag belts. That'd be cool. I, I can't believe I'm going to have to watch New Japan again, by the way. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. Best of Super Juniors, Juniors is dull as ditch water. It, it, well, no, it's not. It's just that the show is full um, House of Torture, so therefore it's winning matches in the most predictably boring ways possible. Um but there's been some corkers. Robbie Eagles and Desperado is a match you should seek out. That was really good. Hiromo and Ishimori was really good this week as well. I'm trying to think if there's any others. Despi versus anyone is just really good right now. We should like, probably talk about the fact that they confirmed the Noah thing. Oh, yeah, we should. Um, yeah, Wrestle Kingdom weekend might actually start on the 1st of January. <laughs> um, yes, so Noah... Uh, have announced and qualified that they will be working with New Japan Pro Wrestling at the third night of Wrestle Kingdom when it will be full-on Noah versus New Japan or Noah tagging with New Japan, depending on how people are feeling about things. <laughs> my first... I was going to say, my personal wish is that um, Seguri Gun and Chaos join together because they have shared members. <laughs> <laughs> And therefore, they can just beat up Bullet Club. <laughs> that's my wish. That's my Christmas. That's what I want for Christmas. Is a Apparently, for the whole of 2022, they're meant to be working with like every company in Japan if they can. It's uh, their 50th Japan. anniversary, yeah. Uh, DDT later in the year as well. And um, obviously, uh, all Japan when they get a chance. So that'll be intriguing, certainly. <laughs> they just get to BJW and it's like, hey, what do you want to do? Exploding coffin death match. N- no. <laughs> Okada Ch- just comes in there and comes out a scarred up bloody mess. No, nah, Okada would go and do it. We can do that as long as it's balloons. There you go. Uh, <laughs> well, that does oh. potentially mean we might see Sekimoto rocking some New Japan stars. It could be interesting. I'm, I'm, yeah, we'll see what happens anyway. Oh, in the big news of the week. 
Chase Owens finally got Sonada in the Paradise Lock. Holy shit. It's taken him two years, and he finally did it this week. And everything stopped. It was like the world ended. It was like NATO just kind of went, hey? (laughs) (laughs) Huh? (laughs) He's grown too powerful. We can't can't control him now. Gets one win over Tanashi. Look at him. He thinks he's Tatsumi Fujinami. Yeah. But um, so yeah, Chase got Chase got Sonada in the Paradise Lock. That was the big news from this week as well, Tag League. Um, but yeah, no, it, New Japan wasn't awful this week. This tour has been pretty good, I think, because a lot of the times with New Japan is when they're doing big main event stuff, they try too hard, and then when they go back to stuff, they can't really screw up. You can't screw up a tournament; it's really hard. Um, so didn't yeah. you just say they screwed up Best of the Super G? <laughs> No, I mean like World Tag League. It it doesn't, in the greater scheme of things, World Tag League doesn't mean an awful lot to the landscape of New Japan Pro Wrestling, except for the upper mid-card guys who can move around without bad things happening. Whereas Best of Super Juniors is fairly important. I'm not saying they screwed the entire tournament over, it's just that the show's boring, basically. Um, Yo's not particularly bad at cork in tournament either. So that just kind of leaves Despy, and those are the two guys that are kind of hanging the tournament around. And Despy did an interview in 1972.com this week where he said, the thing is with Yo is he's a bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's like, I mean, he's, he's but basically he says, he's got all the skills, he could do it if he wants to, but he never looks like he's having a good time. And therefore, why would you enjoy it if he's not having a good time? Which is kind of like, you know... Despy's wrestling intelligence is off the page. And I think oh, actually... Wato been? Really good. Bollocks. Me and, yeah, me and Ian Hamilton have, like, we was discussing it this week over DMs and stuff. That's Ian Hamilton from 411 Mania. We tend to watch New Japan shows together and for the last year have been hanging our heads in shame together. Um, but uh, Ian was like, have you noticed he doesn't seem like he's going to kill himself or anybody else at the same time? And he seems to be landing his spots. So, yeah, so that's given him kind of a renewed confidence. He had a real corker with Robbie Eagles. That's well worth watching. Um, intrigued. What it, when he's been on the losing end, it's been obvious he's been on the losing end. He needs to stop that. He needs to act like he can win all the time. And I think that'll fix half his problems. But he's actually, I think as well, new haircut. <laughs> he's had another one. It's not so emo, boy. And therefore, he can see. And I actually, it sounds really bad, but I genuinely believe half the problems he had last year was his haircut constantly being in his eyes. <laughs> and now that he's had it cut a bit longer and he can flop it out of the way, he can see what he's doing and has thus made his life a lot easier. I think sometimes it's small stuff like that. Oh, damn it. I can't take the piss out anymore. Well, no, hairstyles are everything. <laughs> Look at oh, Ricky yeah, Morton. Your obsession with the mullet. Ricky Morton. There you go. A classic wrestling headstyle, which allows both slipstream ability when running, and also you know allows a certain panache about your tag team wrestling. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and that was today's famous hairstyles with James Troopany. Well, it's no mistake that Tanahashi has picked up a quiff mullet. And is second place in World Tag League. I'm just saying, 
If you're going to be a tag team wrestler, you need to have a mullet. I give you two words. Hiroyoshi Tenzan. <laughs> Gotta happen. <laughs> Stan Lane, Bobby Eaton, mullet. Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, mullet. Steiner Brothers, mullet. There's a pattern here. Yonakiyama, mullet, until he had to shave his hair when he went bald. But he'd been more successful if he could have grown it out again. <laughs> Just saying, pouring it out there. Hirohashi and Sasaki, mullets. There you go. Every tag team in FMW, mullets. That's not really fair because every wrestler, even the women, had mullets in FMW. But mullets. Just saying. The key to tag team wrestling greatness, mullets. Thank you for listening to the Troopany Show today. It was brought to you by the words mullet and 30 minutes and 27 seconds of wrestling genius that was that elimination match on the AJW card from 2001. My guest slash co-host today has been Mr. John Dinsdale. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is the gateway to hell that will bring you my writings, my ramblings, my opinions. Cool pictures I take at Deathmatch wrestling shows. And obviously, yeah, just keep it tuned to Steel Chair for all the upcoming goodness I've got planned. Yeah. All right, then. You can find me at, at Sheriff Lonestar on Twitter. You can find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and on Patreon, The Troopany Show, where you keep us free forever for everyone we are getting into the christmas season i will be soon our troopany show awards i will start planning that shortly um and also we've got the build-up to wrestle kingdom which is probably going to start on the first of january uh we've got that big noah show we probably should have a look at that next week with uh, keno going up against uh nakashima for the ighc heavyweight championships so maybe we'll have a look at that nakashima, nakashima. uh is that all right with you john next week what was that noah Yes. I can always make time for Noah. So there's a joke in there about Noah somewhere. I can't. Noah? Why? I hardly knew her. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, I'm in a silly mood this week. Um, <laughs> this all started off last week when I, I was flicking through Twitter memes and I found like it was a Facebook ad. It was a Facebook screenshot from a DIY group on Facebook and someone said, I'm decorating. Can you show me pictures of your stairs? I need some ideas. And one guy responded by just looking directly into his camera and taking a picture. <laughs> it's just like, that's amazing. So all my jokes have been based around that this week. And it's just, just yeah. I, a bit silly it was a really wholesome one I saw from a Twitter account I follow called Wholesome Meme. It's one of those, like, blast of serotonin accounts. And it was literally, um, me and my pirate girlfriend holding hands. Me, baby, your hands are cold. Her, the army hook. <laughs> it's it's just quite wholesome. There's a I watched a 2013 film called The To Do List, which was largely written and produced by Bill Hader, which is amazing. Um, it's a sex comedy, and um, there's the the couple of the the main lead stars' parents. Uh, he's kind of uptight. And she's pretty chilled out and liberal. And she says, look, I have to tell you that I wasn't a virgin on our wedding night. 
Um, and I actually lost my virginity at 17. And he replies, but where did you do it? And she went, in the vagina, but that's not important right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's just genius. Oh, that joke's amazing. And that kind of sums up my sense of humor completely. Anywho, take care. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.